Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, I just want to ask you to go to jointheunion.us. Heed our words, heed the words of President Biden. Get involved in saving American democracy this fall by getting involved in your states and your communities to ensure that pro-democracy candidates win. Go to jointheunion.us and join the fight. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by Jeff Timmer, senior advisor to The Lincoln Project, podcast host of A Republic, If You Can Keep It, and former executive director of the Michigan Republican Party. Jeff, good to have you back. It's great to be here, Reed. All right, so Jeff, today we are here in beautiful fall weather, Troy, Michigan. Glad to be in person with you. We had an event last night and we've had some meetings this morning. So it's great always to be back up here. Great to see all the things going on. But what I wanted to talk about was here you and I are both up to a point, lifelong Republicans. You ran the Republican Party here in Michigan. When we all got together in 2020, it was about taking out Donald Trump and holding some of his people accountable. Now we recognize, okay, like I'm not a Republican anymore. The party that we grew up with, the party that we worked for, the party we helped lead is gone as far as we know. But now what we see is, you know, in 2020, it was pretty hard with the exception of a few people here and there to get Republicans to come out publicly against Trump or somebody. But now we're seeing a trend this year as we're recording this 39 days from Election Day that in places like here in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in even places like Oklahoma, there are Republican leaders who are coming out against MAGA, Trumpy Republican candidates. So let's talk a little bit about Republican leaders supporting Democrats for election here in 2022. Again, it's not a ton, right? But we don't need a ton. It's not sort of like a wave of like all of the sudden 40% of the Republican Party broke away. But what's different this year than two years ago? Two years ago, one of the things that we tried to do was create the permission structure for Republicans who had a conscience, who had a sense of right and wrong, who recognized the threat was larger than policy differences. We tried to create the excuse for them to go and vote for Joe Biden. We had the Republicans and independents for Biden. We built through the Lincoln Project and partnered with several other like-minded groups across the country. And we got some traction. There was a whole list of former, former governors, former senators, former ambassadors. But there were many people who came up in the Republican Party whose self-worth was all grounded in their Republicanness. And they've been going through these kind of like the seven stages of grief. And there's people still in denial. And I think there still are. There's many people still in denial, but there's a lot more who are kind of coming to that acceptance stage. Right. And when the fever didn't break with January 6th and January 20th. And we find ourselves now 
almost two years on from that in a worse place than we were even then when Trump was president. More people are opening their eyes saying, you know, this isn't going to just like, you know, we're going to wake up from a dream and everything's going to be better now. It's going to take going out and actually supporting not just Joe Biden, but in Michigan, supporting Gretchen Whitmer in Kansas, in Oklahoma, Nevada, it's going to be pulling that lever, lifelong Republicans saying, you know, you can right. do it too. You can do it too. And I think it's just people are coming to this realization at different points. We're seeing the former governor of Kansas, Republican, come right. out and endorse the Democrat governor of Kansas and saying, you know, my party is not my party anymore and you can do it too. That's going to make a difference, I think, in many of these races in 2022. And Sooner or later, their dam is going to break. And as we head toward 2024, there will be a critical mass of pressure behind the dam, water spilling over, and pretty soon this thing's all going to crack through. So, you know, you mentioned the former governor of Kansas. There's a former state house speaker in Oklahoma who has endorsed a Democratic candidate for United States Senate. Down in Texas, there are numerous Republican leaders, former legislators, who are coming out for a guy named Mike Collier, who's running for lieutenant governor as a Democrat against the sitting Republican super MAGA, ultra MAGA Republican lieutenant governor Dan Patrick. And, you know, Jeff, something that you and I were talking about last night as we were driving away from the event that we'd attended was this idea that when we first made the break, when we first chose to say, OK, like no more, right, not one step back, you're diving off the board into an empty swimming pool or you think you are. And it turns out there's water down there. And so do you get the sense that for some of these people, whether or not it's Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, as you mentioned, there were governors in 2020. What would you tell those Republicans who are, to your point, like they see it as their identity is, you know, the party like this was your party. You wanted it to be your party, but it's not who you are and you don't have to stick around. Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, I think, are great examples of people who came to this at different points in time. I mean, they've emerged since Trump left office, since January 6th, as the leading voices and critics of Trump. They both voted for Trump twice and supported him for most of his presidency until it was almost over. And, you know, we take converts. I don't fault right. them for coming to it late. I, sure. I recognize they're at different stages. As I mentioned before, they're coming to that acceptance later. They're finding that their personal identity, their professional identity, their acquaintances, their circle of friends, their social life, so much of it does hinge on partisanship. But there's life outside of that. Liz Cheney losing her primary didn't end her political power. If anything, it enhanced Yeah, it. it's like Obi-Wan in yeah, the first Star Wars. Me down. Become more powerful than you can ever imagine. If she is now a bigger nightmare to Donald Trump in the rest of her term in the House and after than she ever would have been just serving as a lone representative from Wyoming. And she even said last week at the Texas Tribune Fest, sort of big conclave of political types in Austin, Texas, that if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, she no longer considers herself a Republican. Yeah. And, and I think it is just more people and higher profile people saying that helps create that permission structure. It's one thing when Reed Galen and Jeff Timmer say it and everyone's like, you know, who? But Liz Cheney, she gets the microphone and national platform and national attention. And it's not just the never Trump world. It's the Republicans with a conscience, pro-democracy Americans. I, I don't call ourselves Republicans anymore. It's right and wrong matter more than party identification. And you know, I was thinking about this last night at the event when we were talking about bad behaviors by a lot of the Republicans. 
most of the people that I spent my career working with and alongside and helping elect are not bad people. And I know people hearing this are going to say, but, but, but I know what they're like. They're either in a trap that they can't see a way out of, or they're afraid. You know, people are afraid for their income, their livelihood, their relationships. There's different things that motivate different people. And I love to breathe fire and brimstone and be Old Testament and retribution. But, you know, I'm not going to fault somebody that they came to this realization two years after I did or seven years after I did. If they're willing to jump in the trenches and fight and contribute what they can to preserving our democracy, to bringing us back from the brink, the more the merrier. And the more people that do this, the more it gets covered, the more they see this. Other people are going to say, if they can do it, I can do it too. There's strength in numbers. It's interesting. So you are a proud Michigan State Spartan. And I was asked you last night, I said, do you guys ever go to the games anymore? And you said, well, not as much as we used to. The kids are older, yada, yada, yada. But also a lot of the people that we used to go to the games with probably wouldn't sit with us anymore. Well, and that's true. My wife and I were joking with each other just last week about, she said to me, she goes, Jeff, you should really piss off all the rest of our Republican friends that you haven't so far. And it'll right. just make our lives easier right. at this point. Right. Um, and the people we used to socialize with Many, most, I would say, unfortunately, we don't anymore, either because there's direct and open hostility or there's thinly veiled uh, passive aggression right. or there's just fear of being seen with me. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> if somebody takes a picture, I'm going to lose my clients. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was something that when Michael Steele and I were with, we saw each other in Salt Lake City a couple of weeks ago. He was out there doing an event for Evan McMullen, former Republican now running as an independent against Mike Lee for the United States Senate. And, you know, if the gods are smiling on us, Evan will win. But he was joking that, you know, because he still lives in Washington, D.C., that sometimes people don't see him on the street. And depending on their level of discomfort with seeing him, he's like, if they're cool, I shake their hands. If I can tell they're clearly uncomfortable, I give them the biggest bear hug. Like, oh, my God, it's so great to see you. It's so great to see you. And you can see they're like, oh, God, oh, God, somebody's going to see me. Somebody's going to see me. But the other part that you mentioned that I thought was interesting, and this is something else your wife said, too, is that there are people, you know, probably more who work in Republican politics that when they see you, it's a reflection and it's a reflection they don't like because they know better. I don't know if it's a sense of shame, but it certainly brings on what we've talked about, that cognitive dissonance, which is he's gone out there and done it. He's fine. I could have. Maybe I should have. But I haven't. I think there is a lot of that. Like I said, I think most of the people in their core, want to do the right thing, but it's sometimes hard to do the right thing. They don't want to be excommunicated from the tribe. And I think there's been plenty of people from 2016 on, you know, whether it's when Trump won the nomination or when Trump miraculously or, you know, catastrophically won the presidency that they were like, holy shit. Okay, now I just got to go along with this. I got to keep my head down. You know, I've got payroll to make. I've got to keep the company alive. Well, and there's also very real political economies, whether or not that's a consulting firm, whether or not that's a one man band, Lone Ranger, who picks up contracts here and there, campaigns here and there, whether or not that's the person who, you know, maybe they worked in the George W. Bush administration as a Schedule C. Now they want to work in a Republican administration as a senior executive service. Oh, maybe one day I could be Senate confirmed and be honorable and all this other stuff. So they become sort of the political bureaucracy, which is like, well, 
I re up every four or eight years, depending on, you know, who's in charge in the administration. I want another one of those gigs. Then they go lobby or they do whatever and they want to go back in and they sort of just sort of cycle up the ladder theoretically. And for them, they don't really necessarily care who the president with an R behind their name is, because frankly, it's not about them. Right. Well, we shouldn't discount the effect of ideology and policy positions. Most people aren't just in this line of work in government service or in political consulting just because they're mercenaries and want to do the win and loss or that they're just power hungry. They believe in something. They have a core personal philosophy, whether it's I want uh, lower taxes and less government spending and fewer regulations. They haven't realized that none of that matters right now and none of that is driving our politics. You know, our elections for many years have not been about policy. Where you stand right now on policy isn't why you're going to win or lose in 2022. It's going to be where do you stand on democracy or. But on that front, too, I think that that's, you know, if you went into Donald Trump's administration or supported him because of policy. And I, you even hear this, right, from people who are like, well, I didn't like him. I didn't like the tweets, but I liked his policy. I'm like, It's like the damage done in my mind, Jeff, and this is where I should seek to find grace and I should seek to offer grace more often than I do is that's a bullshit answer to me. Because to me, lower taxes and crazy ass conservative judges, like if that's your thing, to me, it doesn't balance the ledger over the damage done. Oh, I agree completely, but I'm saying it's hard for people to get past that barrier in their mind is that I can't vote for the Democrat or support the Democrat because they hold a divergent policy or ideological position to mine. You know, when we had some semblance of normalcy in our politics where we were opponents but not enemies, that is fine. We could agree on the problem but disagree on the path to solutions. That's normal. And we've gone beyond normalcy, but people's minds haven't all got there yet. And so they're still sitting there thinking, I voted for 20, 30, 40 years. I've never voted for a Democrat, whether it's social issues or fiscal issues or national security issues or environmental issues. There's policy difference and disagreements, and they're still looking at things through that old prism, and they just haven't grasped that that's not the game we're in any longer. It's the game you know versus the game we're in. And people are still playing the game by the rules, where Trump and the MAGAs that have subsumed the Republican Party, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, they've tipped over the board and, as you said, are just eating the pieces. There's two different games being played, and that's where I think Going back to this permission structure, it's seeing others, people say, okay, I can get beyond that. I'm not supporting Gretchen Whitmer for re-election because if she and I sat down and went over the list of every bill she's signed or vetoed or supported when she was a legislator, that we're going to have agreement on most of them. That's not the case, but it doesn't matter. And if that's what matters to you, at this point, you're asking the wrong questions and you're getting the wrong answer. I think also, you know, whether or not it's Governor Whitmer here in Michigan as we sit today or Attorney General Josh Shapiro over in Pennsylvania, Tony Evers up in Wisconsin, as I said this to Joe the other day, like none of these people are flaming progressives. They're not Democratic socialists like Bernie Sanders. These are executives. Are they left of center? They are. Are they significantly left of center? They're probably not. 
right? And especially because that's not where their states are either. Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, like Nevada or Arizona, they're swing states for a reason, which is there is proportionately a very similar number of Republicans and Democrats with independents sprinkled in who sort of go back and forth. But it's not Alabama. It's not California. And so I think it also maybe the state's makeup also gives some permission that a former Homeland Secretary like Michael Chertoff, he supports Josh Shapiro. Now, Chertoff, maybe because he was Homeland Security Secretary, understands the domestic threat of white nationalists. Like, frankly, uh, Doug Mastriano is. He's seen the reports on these things. He's seen this stuff up closer. He's like, you can't have that person. And I think that's the other part, too, about it's not about policy, which is do you want someone like Gretchen Whitmer or Steve Sisolak who are going to get up every day and actually do their jobs? Or do you want Carrie Lake or Tudor Dixon or Doug Mastriano who are literally going to go rip out the wiring every day? Because just like we've seen with Trump in his first administration and a second one would be worse is you got people in there for their own purposes or who are simply like the Stephen Millers of the world and Steve Bannons of the world in there trying to rip out as much circuitry as they can. They don't care about the job. I agree with that completely. And I think getting people to this point of acceptance, we can't discount how much the information ecosystem contributes to this. You know, I was talking about how their personal ideology, their policy positions, the reason they think that still matters is because that's being reinforced by where they get their information. And that's something that still is very powerful in, and lopsided and lopsided, but is being combated. And that's why it's taking longer to break through, to have that critical breakthrough where the dam will break. Well, and that, yeah, it's, I mean, we've seen this throughout history, right? Which is the side of good, the side of democracy gets to the fight. They're slumbering, they're lumbering. It takes a little bit to get going, but once the wheels of the side of light and democracy get rolling, they're often always more powerful. But we shouldn't take it for granted. We shouldn't just assume that because each one of us are somebody with our shoulder literally to the wheel, like pushing that down the road while, you know, the people who we're up against are blowing it up. They're blowing up the bridges because to them, none of this matters, right? None of it matters. It's all power. It's all money. It's all fame. It's a gang, right? It's a governing ethos based on whatever is below the lowest common denominator and one where the most transgressive, the most ugly, the most indecent thing is going to be the one that you're going to go with because, oh, well, he did it, so I can do it too. This might sound strange, but what's going on with the Republican Party or what's now called the conservative movement, the right side of American politics, really isn't that different in its construct than what we've seen in Iran over the last couple of weeks, where people are held in check but once they start to say, I'm not going to succumb to that anymore, I've had enough. And some people will hear this and think, what, the Republican Party is like the Ayatollahs in, in Iran? Yes, they have become that. It sounds maybe trite to say, oh, you know, fascism, but it is. Look, if you have a U.S. Senate candidate in Ohio like J.D. Vance, who says that he wants to, quote, free women from 90 hours a week in the cubicle and let them go home. As his wife is a super lawyer at a gigantic firm, he's both a cynic and an asshole. But also he's espousing views that are antithetical to democracy, certainly, but also to America in 2022, which is like if a woman wants to work outside the home, 
great. If a woman wants to stay home and be caregiver for her kids, that's fine too. But the advances of the world and these guys, and you can take it to the Dobbs decision too, they want to dictate a specific way of life. Well, the reason I brought up Iran was the arc of human history moves toward freedom and liberty. Dr. King. Yeah, and it really does. And I think that it's not going to be without struggle. And I think what we all need to be prepared for is that it's going to get worse before it gets better. If Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nevada, Arizona vote pro-democracy in 39 days, that doesn't mean that we wake up on November 9th and we all say, wow, we averted that. The lesson that will be learned from the thugs that have subsumed the Republican Party is they need to double down more. It's not like they're going to say, all right, we've learned our lesson now. We're going to play the game again according to the rules. It's going to get worse on November 9th and up until November of 2024. And we need to be prepared. And that's something that in our instant gratification, instant communication, we have an attention span that lasts about four and a half seconds that I fear for our culture in our country, because can we buckle in for the long ride? Because we're at a point where we've deteriorated to a fractured point where we haven't been since 1860. And getting back then, I mean, it took a bloody war and it took a hundred years and we're still dealing with the aftermath of civil rights and Jim Crow. We're going to be dealing with this fracture for a long time. It's not going to be 2022 and 2024. All right, the Democrats win in 2022. Joe Biden runs for re-election and wins. Trump loses again. It's all over. There are forces unleashed that are going to take a long time. And I think we need to be prepared for decades of division because there are deep cultural divisions that the age of Trump has accelerated. He was a catalyst in the divisions that have been brewing in our culture for years. But also you talked about permission structures for Republicans like we were to leave or at least say, in this time, I'm going to do the thing that's right for my city, my county, my state, my country electorally, right? I'm going to vote for the Democrat, not on policy, but purely on democracy. But I think also Trump created a permission structure. He said, it's okay to be an asshole. All of your worst instincts that you felt because they frankly weren't socially or societally acceptable to say out loud, you can now say out loud, right? Remember back when you watched Private Parts, the Howard Stern movie, right? Like he says the things you're thinking, right? And he was the shockiest of the shock jocks. You know, why do people listen? Half the people say they love him. They can't wait to see what he says next. Why did the other half listen? They hate him. They can't wait to see what he says next. So Trump is a master putting himself in the middle, but he was also a master of whether or not it was the most economically disadvantaged working class white guy or the country club corporate white guy, mostly white guys, to say, these are the things that have always bugged you that you're not able to do or say, and now you can do and say them, right? The don't tread on me guy, right? You can be as big an asshole as you want to be, and it's fine. Yeah. The permission structure goes both ways. The permission structure has evolved rapidly in the last seven years for people to be their worst selves, to act on their darkest impulses. The white nationalists, the racists, the misogynists, the bad actors that are now getting a lot of attention, 
we've known that they've existed and lurked in the dark places of the party for a long time. But we took them for granted, and we didn't think they didn't matter. Right. We didn't give them a microphone, and we congratulated ourselves that they weren't part of us. Right. We accepted their dark behavior and their votes. But now the cockroaches, they've been given permission to come out into the light. And so now in Republican politics, they're welcomed with open arms. They're given positions of power and influence. They're given microphones. They're given attention. And, you know, it's the devil and the angel on the shoulder. Yeah, but they're flicking the angel off the they're shoulder. They're flicking the angel off the shoulder. They're listening to the, do it. You want to, you know, you want to, this is what you think. The whole grievance, you know, they're getting that you're not. Because, you know, if you think about it, being your worst self is almost easier than being your best self. Because being your worst self means whatever comes to your mind, good, bad, indifferent. You just go do, you say whatever. Being your best self means, wait a second, is that what I should do? At this moment, is this what I should say? If you are tired, angry, frustrated, whatever, and that server comes up to your table, the easy thing to do would be like, give me a goddamn Diet Coke. I've been sitting here for 10 minutes. Like, can I get a menu? The best self says, this person's trying their best. They don't need my trouble. My trouble is not their trouble. Yes. Hey, thanks for. Yeah. May I have a Diet Coke, please? Right. Yeah. And a menu when you get a minute. Right. Maybe that's too micro an example, Jeff, but like now you extrapolate it out into like every part of American culture and society and you have a whole bunch of people say, give me a goddamn Diet Coke and give it now and don't look at me funny. And when we have the luxury of really sitting down and looking back at this time, these years that we've gone through recently, the kind of gasoline on the fire that covid and the restrictions and the lockdowns contribute would it ever have gotten this bad without that thrown on as well i mean yes it was bad before covid and trump was bad and the republicans were on this path but then it seems like things just kind of came bursting out during and after covid you're right and i think there is a contribution to that and i think that that's one of those Things, you know, but this is where like Stuart likes to say that leadership matters, which is, I mean, if you think back to Bob Woodward's book that came out about Trump two years ago, probably right about now, where he'd had a conversation with Trump in February of 20, where what frightened me most, Jeff, about that conversation was that Trump had clearly not only internalized, but intellectualized how dangerous COVID-19 could be said out loud could be a hundred times worse than the flu. And within days or weeks, as this thing has probably already made landfall, to use a hurricane expression, is going out and saying, it's a hoax. It's the Democrats. It'll be over by Easter. It's the China virus. Everybody goes into lockdown mid-March. He says it's going to be over by Easter, which is three or four weeks later. And we go through, and now we're staring it down at a million people dead, more than a million people dead. Remember, he wouldn't wear a mask because he thought it looked weak until he absolutely had to. Then he got the goddamn thing. And I remember somebody was asking me last night, they were talking about the hurricane, how all the campaigns in Florida have pulled their ads down because there's a response and recovery process going on. And I remember somebody said, well, remember when Biden pulled his ads down when Trump got COVID? I said, I did. And I remember reporters called me and said, are you going to pull your ads down? I was like, no. Well, why not? The guy went out of his way to get the goddamn thing. And he gave it to everybody else. I mean, like, what do you want me to say? Like, no, we're not going to pull it. He's not pulling his ads down. Why the hell would we pull ours down? (laughs) Yeah. But that's the difference. That's the game you're in versus the game you're used to playing. 
but I think also you're right. So that schools shut down, the fact that schools shut down probably directly contributed to a guy like Glenn Youngkin being elected governor because people were so upset. And, you know, if my kids had been home from school for two years, like I might feel the same way. I can't say that I wouldn't. But now Youngkin, finance guy, vest, sort of looks like Mitt Romney, six feet taller, whatever. Now, you know, I remember telling my friends in Northern Virginia, like, this guy is not who you think he is, Jeff. This guy is not who you think he is. I know he's playing the part. But let me tell you, like, once you cross that line, even a little bit, like, you're over the line. And now he's out with the Kerry Lakes of the world and everybody else. And you're either MAGA or you're not. You're either a cynic or a true believer. He's a cynic, but he's trying to pick up the true believer vote, the ultra MAGA vote, because if Trump doesn't run, he wants to be maybe vice president or whatever. And so like even the people who know better in positions of power, again, leadership matters like Glenn Youngkin knows better, but he's going to go support Carrie Lake. Doug Ducey, who runs the Republican Governors Association, who is the current governor of, of Arizona, doesn't say anything about Carrie Lake, but he's got his organization dumping millions of dollars into help her. So like you're either on the side of good or you're not with some of this stuff. And it's always amazing to me going back to the concept of leadership matters that these people who know better like, oh, well, I just, you know. I can't do anything about it. Like, which is to me, again, I should find more patience as you have, but I'm like, fuck you. I don't have a lot of patience. I recognize that there are people who they're either going to continue down the wrong path because they're weak or afraid or they're bad and unafraid. You know, once you sell your soul to the devil, you don't get it back. Right. And so much of this comes down to character. You know, character, they say, is how you behave when no one is watching. And there are tens of millions of people who are lacking in this country. They're lacking the backbone to stand up and say what's wrong is wrong. And whether it's Glenn Youngkin or just a rank and file Republican, there are many people who know what they're doing and saying is wrong. They see the trajectory we're on and they've convinced themselves that it isn't what it is so that they can sleep at night. I remember reading Jeremy Peters' book, Jeremy Peters, reporter from the New York Times, about sort of the downfall, as we would see it, of the Republican Party, and that Sarah Palin ran on polite political society in Alaska, of all places, saw her as like the outsider, right, the hick. And she tapped into something which is still being tapped into by Trump and others, which is you're not part of polite society. They don't like you. Ergo, let's show them who's really boss or let's show them what we're willing to do to show that we don't care, right? It's the sort of like Karenization of the world. Again, the response to being, okay, we disagree is not, okay, let's find common ground, but let me, as you said, double and triple down on my worst behavior to remind you how much I hate you and how much I don't care of you and your polite society. Right. Well, in, you know, I, I love saying, and I've heard you say it too, there are more of us than there are of them. And that's true. But if you're dealing with 100 million people and 40 million people are going to be destructive assholes, it doesn't matter that you're the majority. 40 million destructive assholes can cause a lot of problems. They can break a lot of things. And that's where we're at right now is a smaller but energized minority is rampaging through the streets of our politics and culture and just breaking things and breaking windows. Now, listen, I mean, you think about this. Let's zoom out for a second, go into China. China is a country of 1.6 billion plus people run by a communist party and its security apparatus 
that maybe numbers a couple of million. Like, if the masses of China want to overturn the apple cart, there'd be nothing that the Chinese Communist Party and its organs could do. I mean, it would kill a lot of people, don't get me wrong. But, like, if the wave rolled over them... They don't have enough bullets. <laughs> right, right. They don't have enough guys. They don't have enough bullets. But the flip side of that, though, is it only takes a few guys with guns willing to use them to keep everybody shut up inside their houses. Yeah. Dealt with this from the rise of the Tea Party like a dozen years ago up through now the Trumpization of the party. People don't live their lives with confrontation and hostility and conflict. They don't just walk up to people and pick fights with strangers or pick fights with people they know in physical aggression or the threat of physical aggression. But that's what we saw in our politics. People would show up to county party conventions and there would be these people breaking things and yelling at you and screaming. So what did they do? They, the normal people just said, screw it, I'm not coming to this anymore. And now the inmates are running the asylum. And that's all it takes is enough people willing to break things and the rioters will control the masses. Well, and, you know, just down in Texas, Beto O'Rourke's been going, there's like 254 counties in Texas or something. And he's trying to go, I think, I don't know if he's trying to go to all of them. He's trying to go to a lot. And there's been some of his rallies where there's like guys with AR-15s like strapped across their chests. And I've found it amazing because Beto just calls them out because the guy, I would hope it's not loaded, but the guy is just trying to be an asshole and scare people. And Beto's basically saying you don't have to be scared of this guy. Now, it's easy to say if you had to confront that guy one on one it might be harder in practice to pull off. And I, I don't think that's an unusual reaction to people. But I think that's also one of those things to your point, which is you have to say no. You have to say not one step further. And you have to be willing to call it out and sort of to bring it back to where we are is as we get towards Election Day here a little bit more than a month away, do you think that even without Trump on the ballot with some of these crazy candidates, Tudor Dixon, Matt DiPerno running for AG seems apparently to be soon prosecuted and or disbarred, the crazy lady running for Secretary of State, do you think in Michigan and beyond, there are enough Republicans who are willing to say, like, enough is enough. It seems that way. Right now, 39 days out, there are more people and recognizable people, people who had positions of influence and power and elected status, who were Republicans who have come out and said, we are supporting Gretchen Whitmer for reelection. We are urging you to vote for Democrats in Michigan. It's not enough. There needs to be a hell of a lot more that should say this is wrong. But we were talking about this in listeners to the, the podcast understand the Bannon line. The Bannon line was 4 to 6% of the voters in 2020. It really is now 6 to 10%. We're seeing that uh, reflected in polling right now in Michigan. Gretchen Whitmer is getting 12 to 15% of Republican voters, behavioral Republicans in the polling, private and public polling. It's real. There are people who have said, I consider myself a Republican, I identify as a Republican, but I'm not voting for the Republicans. We're going to see more Republicans in states, not just in Michigan, but in states across the country, not just in purple states. There's going to be more and more people who stand up and say it's wrong. You know, I look at Tom Price, congressman from South Carolina, who voted for impeachment and lost his primary as a result of it. He just said, that's just wrong. Peter Meyer in West Michigan, one of his first votes was for impeachment lost his primary. There's going to be more people like that, and they're going to be part of public life. They're going to be voices out there saying, I'm not in Congress anymore, but I can still influence 
this debate, this fight. Well, and I think as we close here, I mean, I think that's right, which is if there's one thing that the right wing ecosystem has taught us, including the media, Tucker Carlson never held elective office, probably never will. Hopefully Steve Bannon never held elective office, certainly never will. But they are power centers, right? They are able to move messages into all parts of their ecosystem. And we need more voices on the pro-democracy side to do the same thing day in and day out, which is why we do podcasts like this and you do your podcast. And we we do these things just to make sure, you know, somebody said last night, well, we need to make sure that we're not just preaching to the faithful. Like we don't just preach to the faithful, but you can't not preach to the faithful either. And I think that as we get here, the kinds of people that we're talking about, these Republicans in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Oklahoma, Texas, Arizona, I think there will be more of them, as we've talked about, because the water is okay, right? There is life beyond Trump's Republican Party. Before we go, as a note, if you live here in Jeff Timmers, Michigan, remember that you can now cast your absentee ballot. Do that. If you have your ballot, Whitmer, Nessel, Benson, on down the line, right? Yes, they are big D Democrats, but they also represent small D democracy. And if there is a front line in the fight for democracy, Jeff, I don't know if it's any place other than Michigan. Michigan is truly one of the existential states for democracy in this country. And I'll give you the list of Republicans in this state that people listening should vote for. Mm -hmm. There. All right. So, Jeff, before I let you go, where can folks find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Jeff Timmer. You can find my podcast, A Republic, if you can keep it. Wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe and listen. We focus a lot on Michigan politics and how it intersects with the national debate. Great guests of national and state renown. All right. And I, I think I've been on your show. You have. I have. <laughs> I hope to be back soon. All right, gang. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Reed Galen. Find me on Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP. Jeff Timmer, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Reed. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. Also, be sure to check out our growing LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. We're speaking with Lisa Senecal and Maya May, which airs Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. And Lunch with Lincoln, which airs every Monday at noon Eastern. Plus, we'd love you to check out our newest show, The Game We're In, with Maya May and Trigby Olson, which airs Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on The Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter feeds. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.